Well, good morning, and we're at week 20, believe it or not. So we are finishing the, the second uh, set of 10 weeks in our 30-week series on what it means to believe. And as we unpack that today, it's a little bit exciting because we have finished up the two-thirds of our series after this morning. Remember, as we look at this 30-week journey that takes us through what it means to think and act and to be like Jesus, we are focusing this uh, middle section on moving from the thinking into the acting portion. That not only do we need to think right, we need to believe the right things, but that has to show itself by how we live our lives. And so what we think and believe has to have hands and feet to it. We've got to live out what we say we believe or we're just becoming hypocrites. And if you know the gospel story at all, you know that Jesus has some of the harshest things to say about hypocrites. So that is not something that we want to become. We believe the one true God has unfolded his grand plan to provide salvation through Jesus Christ. We sang about that in a song just a moment ago. We believe that God loves all people from everywhere. and He extends an invitation to everyone to receive eternal life. And so we want to be part of that. And that means we have to do something about it, not just believe it. And we're going to specifically talk about that today. We believe there's a real heaven and a hell. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. And that Jesus is going to return to judge all the people and establish his eternal kingdom. This idea of kingdom, I'll refresh you with a, in a minute on that. But we need to really grasp that idea of how we think about God's kingdom. Only those who receive salvation by faith in Christ in this life are going to be part of the eternal life to come in God's kingdom. And so this makes it a very serious concern. We believe that God has designed the church. That's, that's us. If you're a believer, you're part of a church. The church is God's plan, God's program to reach the nations to get them into his kingdom. We are an ambassador. We spread the message. We send God's message, the good news that we will talk about today. Because of these beliefs that we commit ourselves to the practice of sharing our faith. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Sharing your faith. How do we do that? What does that look like? Why do we do it? If you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you know that you're supposed to share your faith. You know you're supposed to tell other people about Jesus. But the truth of the matter is that it is one of the areas of the Christian life that is the most neglected or if we're going to be more accurate, an area that we as Christians are usually the most disobedient in. We know that God calls us to. We know that Jesus said to go, but we don't. So I want to talk about some of our fears this morning. I also want to talk about some of the heart issue, the core reason that we don't do it. I think when we dig a little deeper, there's an underlying reason besides just the fears that we might have. We need to learn to share our faith in both word and deed. We need to be a lighthouse for all. And so let's look at this today. And the first thing I want to look at is the idea of the good news. And, and you might wonder why, but some of you know me by now. And so, you know, I, I like to back up and get the big story in focus so that we can deal with the detail of this week's theme. We have to understand God and his kingdom. And so we need to understand what the good news is, which if you're going to share the good news, you have to understand what it is anyways. The good news is simply what we often refer to as the gospel, although that probably doesn't answer all the questions for you. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he uses the word gospel or good news at least 15 times. I'm just going to read these through to you. They're not all up on the screen. 
But in Romans chapter 1, in the first couple of verses, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a called apostle, separated to the gospel or good news of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In Romans 1.9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. In Romans 1.16, he says, So much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel, the good news, to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For, in all, for it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And Romans 2, 15 and 16, he says, Their thoughts are accusing or excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel, the good news. And how shall they preach, he says, in 10, 15 and 16, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, or good news, of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, or good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed? And in 1128 of Romans, he says, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. For, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. So there's enemies of the good news, or the gospel. That's because there's two different kingdoms. He says in Romans 15, 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel or good news of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And in 15, 17 to 20, he says, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient and mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to um, Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel or good news of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel or good news, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. And in 1529, he says, But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel or good news of Christ. And lastly, in 16, 25, and 26, he says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel or good news and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the truth. Now, I thought about unpacking the book of Romans this morning and decided not to do that. But as you can see, the book of Romans is about the good news. It's about the gospel. Paul wrote this to help explain that. In the beginning of the book of Romans, he talks about the fact that everybody is a sinner. And that leaves us all condemned. Well, where's the good news in that? Well, that's not the good news. That's the bad news. The good news comes after he explains that all of us are under condemnation, under judgment because we're sinners. We have rebelled and strayed from God and his kingdom. But the good news is the fact that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. That the good news is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus provides the salvation for us. And we'll unpack that in a little bit. He goes on in Romans to talk about because of that, the Holy Spirit then comes in, and this is called sanctification, that God comes in and he makes us new, and he then begins to eradicate the sin and the sin nature that's within us. 
And then he goes on in the last part of Romans, he talks about how we're supposed to live lives of service to God because of what he's done for us. That's kind of Romans in a nutshell. Paul is a man that has been completely and radically chained by the, changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't play around. He's all in. He's radical. He understands that Jesus really is king, and he's coming back on a horse one day to claim the world that is rightfully his, or something like that. You know how in the movies, the king comes riding in on his horse, right? And he conquers the nations, okay? Well, Jesus is going to come riding on the clouds, okay? But he is going to come back, and he is going to rule the nations, all of them, every nation. No longer presidents, okay? We will have the king, Jesus, who will be ruling. Paul understands that as king, when Jesus commanded his disciples, his students, if you will, to go and preach and proclaim the good news, the gospel, in every city in the world until he came back, he not only meant it, but he gave them the power through the Holy Spirit to do it. This is why the first disciples, they waited in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost. And at Pentecost, who came upon them? The Holy Spirit came upon them to empower them for the work of the gospel ministry. The Holy Spirit is the power for life because the Holy Spirit is God's living power working in all of those who become his children. So when you become a child of God, you get the Holy Spirit. And that's the power to do the work of God. Paul understood that Christian had killed death, killed sin, and he had effectively killed the enemy. The enemy, though he was not actually dead yet, talking about Satan here, he's been robbed of his power over all those who are in Christ. This is the good news. The good news is that sin doesn't have to control you anymore. The good news is that you don't have to be afraid of death because death is now not the end game. It's simply a doorway into eternal life in God's kingdom. That's the good news. The good news is that these fears are taken away. The good news is that the power of Satan is no longer a power in your life because the Holy Spirit is greater than Satan. That's the good news. Paul understood that with his new understanding of the kingdom, Jesus as king, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the fact that the war has already been won, he simply needed to fight individual battles, not in his own power and strength, but in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. He understood this. We need to understand this. What does this fighting look like? It means making friends of enemies. It means you go into enemy territory and you take an enemy and they become your friend. You get them back into God's kingdom. Going to the enemy and offering them friendship. You know, that's pretty relevant to a lot of stuff that's going on in the news. We've talked about this in the past with the illustration of ISIS, etc. As Christians... We need to not be afraid of death, okay? We need to understand that ISIS is really not the enemy. You see, it's who's behind. It's who is the one the Bible speaks about that seeks to kill and destroy. That's right. And so anytime you have anything that is evil, you need to understand that it's a mask. It's masquerading. That behind that is the evil influence, okay? The real battle is between two kingdoms. God's kingdom... And the kingdom that Satan has hijacked and is opposing God with. And that's what we need to understand. That's why that our enemy is not an individual. It's not people. It's a spiritual battle. Which is why Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 talks about putting on the spiritual armor of God. What did Jesus do? The exact same thing. Now think about this because we don't often think about this. Jesus came to earth. You know that part. 
to those who were in rebellion to his kingdom. If you're in rebellion to God's kingdom, what does that make you? And? Something more. If he is a king and he has a kingdom and you are against it, you are, you are his what? Enemy. You are his enemy. See, we don't like to call ourselves enemies of God. Sometimes when I'm talking with people and I'll, and I'll say, yeah, you're an enemy of God. They're like, no, no, I'm not. I like God. No, the truth of the matter is that we, as a born sinner, are in rebellion against God. And since he is a king of a kingdom, if we're in rebellion against him, we are his enemy. And Ephesians speaks to that. And so when Jesus comes to earth from heaven... He's coming into, quote, enemy-controlled territory to redeem enemies. So we have the exact example and illustration that we need to do from Jesus himself. What did he do when he came to his enemies? He ate with them. He talked with them. He hung out with them. Then he began healing them, doing miracles, and overthrowing the spiritual powers that were controlling them. That's why he would cast out demons. That's why he would demonstrate that he was Lord of the universe. They simply needed to announce or renounce their own desires, ambitions, plans, and become a follower of his. That's what the disciples did. They renounced their ambitions. No long were they going to fish for fish. That's what they had done their whole life. They were now going to fish for men because Jesus changed them from the inside out. They renounced their past and moved on to Jesus' game plan. They became his follower, his servant. He was their king, their Lord. Caesar was not Lord. Jesus was Lord. They needed to recognize that they'd been living as part of the enemy's kingdom in his camp, and it was time for them to flee to the camp of Jesus, to the kingdom of God. Historically, during a time of war, kings would set off to battle for their people against the given enemy. And if the king was defeated, here's what would happen. His people would either become slaves to the enemy or be killed. That's it. All right? And then here's what would happen. The messengers would run back to the city, and they would say, run for your lives. The king has been defeated. Now, is that good news or bad news? That's bad news. That's bad news. Run or you're going to be killed. But when the king and his soldiers triumphed, he would send back a messenger to the people. And what would they say? This messenger would say, good news, good news. Why? Because they've won. And this is exactly what the good news is of Scripture. The good news is that Jesus has come. He has conquered the enemy. And it is good news. You don't need to be afraid anymore. When the messenger runs back to the city and he says, good news, good news, we've won, nobody's afraid. The enemy is defeated. So why is it that we have so many fears? It's because we take our eyes off the king. We take our eyes off Jesus. The Bible declares the good news that Jesus has won. He has conquered the enemy. He has purchased our freedom from slavery and death. And he calls us to return to him, our, our creator, to come back home, if you will. We're the runaways. He's the good and gracious father looking for us and ready to celebrate when we return. You know the prodigal son story, most of you. Yeah, that's us. We're the runaway. Whether you're the older brother, okay, that was like me, all right, I was good, self-righteous, behaved myself, didn't get into trouble, right? So you look at them and everybody thinks, oh, they're pretty good. 
they must be okay with God. No, the older brother was not okay with God. He was self-righteous. He was a sinner. And then you got the younger brother. Everybody knew he was no good. He was immoral. He lived his life immorally. See, that's the one that everybody can look at and say, oh, looks all moral. No, the problem is, if you read the text carefully, they're both enemies of God. One is just, and he makes it known. Everybody knows it. The other, it's inside. And you got a cloak on the outside that makes it all look good. Sympathies, which is why Jesus had to expose them. You're either or a younger brother. All of us. And we have to all realize that no matter which one we are, the path is the same. We have to go to Jesus. In England, when the queen is not at home at Buckingham Palace, the flag is lowered. So that when people drive by, they look around, they can see there's no flag. And that's a little bit unsettling to a lot of them. Even though she doesn't have the power she used to have, that's still the case today. But when that flag is raised high, you know what that message does to the people? It gives them hope and security because the queen is on the throne. Well, you know something? The flag is always flying at full staff in heaven because God is always on the throne. There's never a moment when he's not. We need to surrender our flag and become part of his kingdom. Dave Harvey has said about the gospel, the gospel is the heart of the Bible. Everything in scripture is either preparation for the gospel, presentation of the gospel, or participation in the gospel. The gospel has got to inform every facet of our lives. It leaves nothing untouched. Jesus doesn't make us halfway new. He makes us completely new. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and Revelation 21, verse 5, both affirm. We become new creatures in Christ. The old is passed away. Behold, all things are made new. That's what Jesus does in you. The secret of the gospel, the secret of the gospel change is being convinced that Jesus is the good life and the fountain of joy. Any alternative would be a letdown. Now, let me just focus on this for a minute because this is where I think the root of our problem is. The way we live our life and the idea of sharing our faith cannot be just a religious duty. It's got to be rooted in relationship. And here's, here's the reality. Is that when rough things happen in your life, in my life, we begin to doubt God. And we begin to think that God isn't good. Now, you will go through periods of time, and maybe you're in that period right now where you don't really understand what I'm saying. You're like, no, Kevin, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, that's fine. Just listen to me because your time will come when you will literally question whether God is actually good and being good to you. When things completely don't go the way you think they should, they don't seem to line up. You're trying to do everything for God and the pieces just don't fit. You will begin to wonder if God is really good. And how you answer that or where you go in that time is going to determine the trajectory of your life at that time. 
This issue right here has to do with whether or not we share the gospel. Do you really believe that God is good? Is God good when nothing is working out in your life? Is God good when you're not able to have children? Is God good when your relationships fall apart? Is God good when your parents divorce? Is God good when a parent dies? Is God good when you get in a car accident? Is God good when your best friend hates you now? These are, these are real life questions. Where is God? We're in a large, full-scale, risk-like war game, except that it's not a game. People's lives hang in the balance. Their eternal destinies depend on whether or not we alert them to the dangers ahead. Friday morning, I woke to a message on my phone telling me I had possible fraudulent activity on one of our credit cards. Well, unfortunately, this is not the first time. In fact, every single year for the last four years, I think, we have a identity theft issue. And so um, I kind of know the routine by now. I use a, another app that tracks my spending on every, every account that I have pretty much. And so I went and double-checked that, and then I went and logged in online, and I called them. And, yeah, so anyways, somehow somebody got my wife's credit card number and was trying to buy all these uh, gift cards from an online website. So it looks like it was flagged. I don't know that any of them actually went through. But what happened? The credit card company sent me a text message. The credit card company sent me an email. And then the credit card company called me. Why? They were trying to alert me to the danger that somebody was trying to do to me. Okay? Now, it looks like they tried to charge a couple hundred dollars or less. Four, five, six different charges. <clears throat> For a couple hundred dollars, I got three different alerts. Text, email, and phone. We are dealing with something way more important than a couple hundred dollars. So if we really understand, okay, that people are in one of two camps, God's kingdom <coughs> or not God's kingdom. Just like in the Old Testament, people were either Jews or Gentiles. There's no Jew or Gentile anymore. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. It doesn't matter what your, your background, your ethnicity, your race. It doesn't matter anymore. Okay? You're either God's kingdom or you're not God's kingdom. That's it. And our job as ambassadors, okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20, our job as ambassadors is to be out there alerting people and bringing them the good news. You see, the alert was the bad news from the credit card company, right? Fraud. And I'm like, here we go again. Okay? So... The good news was, Mr. Adams, you don't have to worry at all. You are not responsible for any of those charges. We will cover them all for you. Oh, so I don't have to pay them. And I already knew this, but, you know, they're, they're giving me good news too, right? So not only that, we're going to give you a new credit card account so that they can't use it, and we're going to try to track them down. Well, they're not going to track them down. They don't really care. It's $200. They make billions. But anyways, the bad news is there, but it also came with what? Good news, right? So... We'll get a new card. We're fine. It really isn't interrupting anything. Took an hour or two of our time, right? So that's it. Bad news, good news. Bad news is we're sinners. Good news is there's a way out. There's salvation in Jesus Christ. 
Doctors routinely advise patients to have various exams and checkups in an effort to find warning signs of cancer before it becomes untreatable and kills them. Colon cancer is one of the most treatable cancers. But a lot of people die of colon cancer because they don't find it early enough. You see, there's not the warning. They didn't have the signal. They didn't have the alert. And that's what you need. The NSA, the CIA, and the FBI regularly and continuously are on the lookout for suspicious activity so the government can be alerted before any large threat occurs. Let me ask you something. What is the bigger deal? North Korea getting a nuke and nuking us one day. Or somebody dying and going to hell. Well, if that's the case, if that's the case, which is the right answer, Darius, okay, because that's an eternal issue, right? You're all going to die, whether you get nuked or not. We're all going to physically die, right? The question is what happens after. So if actually somebody's well-being in eternal state is more important than getting nuked, shouldn't we be more serious and vigilant than the NSA, the CIA, the FBI, etc.? Yeah, but we're not. When these alerts fail, disaster occurs. 9-11, Oklahoma, Kent State, Orlando, etc. Right? So as agents of God's kingdom, we are tasked with sending out alerts and informing every single person of the disaster looming ahead of them. Here's the deal. A lot of people don't realize they're in danger. A lot of people are like I was. A lot of people are like the older brother. They think that they're fine with God. Okay? Up until I was 18, I thought I was fine with God. I actually remember, this is kind of weird, but this is when I was in high school. I remember one day coming home from school, all right? And I was in my bedroom just listening to music, and I was having this conversation in my head with God. And I was like, when I die, what's going to happen? Now, I had some church background, so I knew a little bit about heaven and hell, and, and, and I believe some other stuff. Some was true, some wasn't. But, um, I was having this conversation, and, and my response to myself was this. Well, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not using drugs, and I'm not sleeping around. And I'm sure there's going to end up being some drug dealers in heaven and some prostitutes in heaven. So if they'll get in, I'll get in. And I didn't think about it again. I was completely wrong. I didn't think about it again until I was in college. I was 18, and I was at a church I'd never been to with a friend of mine. And the pastor was preaching, kind of like I am, and he was explaining the gospel, and he was explaining that every one of us is born a sinner because Romans 3.23 says we're all sinners. And he was explaining that, as Romans 6.23 says, because of that sin, we're separated from God when we die. But there's the gift of God called eternal life. And it was that day when all of a sudden I realized yeah, I'm not the younger brother, but I'm the older brother, and I'm separated from God, and I do have sin, and I am a sinner, and that sin is going to keep me separated from God. I'm separated from God now, and I will stay separated from God now forever. See, here's the deal. The way you die is the way you stay. If you die separated from God, you stay separated from God. If you die with God, you stay with God. It's really that simple. You continue on just in a better place without all the junk and the mess that's here and the relationship that you have with God or lack thereof. Look at the map here of the world, <coughs> the world evangelism map, okay? So as you can see, this is the 
whole world, and you've got percentages of where people know God and don't know God. So if you look over in North America, um, you've got 26%, 27%. Okay? If you look over on the east side, you can't read all the numbers, but I'll tell you, way over on the east, you've got 3.8%, 3.5%. You can see we have way more people in the west that know Jesus, or at least say they know Jesus, right? And we got Bibles everywhere, which they don't have in all these other countries, okay? So what are we doing with it? Well, let me tell you, you, okay, you are the link, okay, of evangelism. The next slide. <clears throat> Last week I showed you this slide, okay, and if you look on the right, there's 7.225 billion people in the world, right? Okay, and at the moment that I took this, okay, 73,803 had been born that day, all right? Remember I showed you all this last week? Okay, go to the next slide. I updated it this morning, okay? So it was an hour earlier today, so that's why it's only 66,500, but 7.227 million, so it's 2 million higher, okay? So there are this many people, all right, that we got to deal with, and look down at the bottom, Okay, people lacking adequate opportunity to hear the gospel on the right side, 3.855 billion people. All right, now this is around the world. So yeah, but you just said that's a pretty high percent in America. Most people know about God. Well, the funny thing is America is now the fourth largest unreached nation. You see, we have people that move here from all over the world. We have what? We're the fourth largest unreached nation. Unreached people that don't know, don't know Jesus, because people move here from everywhere, and because less and less people are continuing to follow Jesus. So maybe their parents did, but they don't anymore. Okay, so here's the deal: <clears throat> we have, we used to. If you go back to the go back to the map, okay. What we used to try to do is send people all over the world to get over here where it's only 3%. Well, guess what? We didn't get them there very well. God is now moving them into America. Orlando has lots of people that come from all different countries. We have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Of course, we need to start a little closer to home than that. Go to the completely next slide for me, please, the one that's labeled evangelism. Here's the deal. You are the missing link, okay, for these people. I want you to think about the last time you had a conversation with someone that's not a follower of Jesus, and the conversation was about Jesus. Now, don't answer out loud. Just think about it. That can be embarrassing for me as, as well as you, okay? It's been too long. Last night, we went to dinner with Melissa's parents for, um, it was a Father's Day dinner, um, and I, I was going to ask the, the waitress, Okay, an, an easy way when you're out to dinner is, is just ask the waitress, the waiter, etc. Is there anything that we could pray for you about? Um, and that may or may not spark anything. But that's a real easy intro, right? So, um, but we'd already prayed for our meal, and so I, n I never actually did it, all right? She was a really nice lady, great service, etc. But I never did it. So I didn't have an opportunity to get to know her a little better, etc. So what we do is we make these compartments in our life. So we're here today. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about how we should share Jesus. And then we leave here. We go to a restaurant, and we're like, nah, who cares? They're just bringing us our food. I don't care about them. But what did we just say a minute ago? Because every person needs the alert, right? 
Because every person is going to eventually what? Die. And so they need to be alerted. Now, maybe they're already Christians. There's lots of people in Orlando that are already Christians. But there's a lot more people that are not. So it's our job. Okay? It is our job to do this. <clears throat> you know why we don't do it? Because we don't love God. Yep. I know. This is, this is where I take a stake and we drive it through our hearts. Do you love God? Yes. <clears throat> it really becomes an issue of love. In the old movie, uh, John Q., uh, Denzel Washington had a son that needed a heart transplant. And when he didn't have the money, and he couldn't come up with the money, he decided to take matters into his own hand. And so he got a gun, and he held the, host- the hospital at gunpoint, hostage, etc., and he was going to get his son that transplant. Didn't matter what it cost, he was going to get his son that heart. Now, it's a pretty good movie, but here's the deal. Eventually, what's going to happen to his son anyway? He's going to die again, okay? Whether he gets the heart or not, he's going to die eventually. Now, here's my point. A dad has a son dying, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to save him. Now, let me just make a crazy comparison. God has his one and only son, Jesus, whom he's willing to allow to die at the hands of his enemies so his enemies can have life. That's the gospel. So when you can resonate with John Q, which I can, okay? I don't like hospitals. I don't give blood because I pass out. I don't like needles. But I'll tell you right now, if you were dying and one of my body parts would help you live, I would most likely go and let them cut me open and do whatever they have to for you to live and have my body part. Okay? Yes. Because I love you. Okay? So my love for you overshadows my fear of surgery, my dislike for hospitals and doctors, and I will do that for you. But we're dealing with something on a totally different level. When Jesus comes and dies, not because, not in our situation, just because I love you, Stanley. We're talking about for enemies. Jesus, God, and the Spirit love their enemies. That they would do the same thing for their enemies. Now, see, that's not what you see in all the movies. Okay, most of the guy movies are about revenge. We don't show love. No, we kill them. Okay, that is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is we allow ourselves to die so they can live. Do you love God? Every time a fireman responds to a fire and he enters the fire, there's a chance he won't come out alive. He goes in with a sense of duty and purpose and maybe even some love for people he doesn't even know, hoping to save them even if he loses his own life in the process. That's what Jesus meant when he says that in order for you to be saved, you must first lose your life. If you cling to your life, you will lose your life. Let it go and you gain it forever. What the fireman does in the physical realm, Jesus calls us to do in the spiritual realm. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 to 6. It says, This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. 
How do you know if you actually know Jesus? If you keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So when I talk to people and they say, oh, yeah, I'm tight with Jesus, okay? And then they're doing all these things that are contrary to Jesus. I'm sorry, man. According to Scripture, you're not tight with Jesus. You might not even know him. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now, his commands are not a burden. What does love for God look like? You keep his commands. 2 John chapter 6, this is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning. You must walk in love. Who's writing this? This is all written by the Apostle John. Who's the Apostle John? He was the closest disciple to Jesus. He's the one that it is said of him, Jesus loved him. He was on the inner three. He was the inner one. He was the closest one. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Five books in the New Testament. Yes. Yes, it does. It means that you loved yourself more than your mom. See, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is why we need Jesus so much. Because no matter how hard we try to be good, the fact is we're not. Right? Because the deal is, so I had this conversation back 10 years ago when I was teaching in a different school. And they argued with me the same thing. Don't tell me I don't love my mom. I do love my mom. We're talking about love at, at two different levels here. In that moment, you didn't love your mom. You chose to love yourself. If you chose in that moment to love your mom, you would do what she asked, right? It's just like this. When I put this up, they're like, do you love God? And you're like, yes, I love God. Okay, every believer is going to say, I love God. But when it boils down to it, and Jesus says, go do this, go tell this person about me, and we say, no, I don't want to. Then in that moment, do we love Jesus? No, we don't. We love who? ourselves exactly and that is what the bible calls idolatry that's where we put ourselves as king we try to steal the crown off jesus head and put it on ours we try to kick him out of the seat and sit in the throne that's also a bad move because what happens when you try to take jesus out of the throne that's right he kicks you okay not a good idea but this here but here's the deal this is why we've got to understand scripture so well that is actually what we are doing when we refuse to follow what he says. So now let's look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28. So if we're talking about sharing our faith, this is the verse for it, right? And Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here we see this is the command. Okay. The Great Commission. So if we're not doing this, do we love Jesus? No, we don't. Right? This is the only thing. In fact, if you do everything else in the world and don't do this one thing, then we didn't do the one thing he asked us to do. This is what he said before he left. Go make disciples. And then he explains what disciples look like. Okay? They follow him. They know Jesus' is teaching. They obey the teachings. They get baptized, etc. Okay, but the point is disciple. It means a student, a follower. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Right. And that's what matters, right? Because how do we live life? Moment by moment. Right? So if your moments of not loving God, okay, if, that, if that's what your life looks like, then that's kind of you, right? So if I continually refuse to not share Jesus with people, that means I'm continually choosing myself over Jesus, right? I'm continually choosing disobedience. I'm continually choosing my own way. So am I really, let's not even use the word Christian, because that's not the word that's here, okay? Am I really a disciple or a follower? This is what he said to his disciples, right? So they weren't called Christians at that point. They're called disciples. A disciple is a student or a follower, right? So am I really a disciple of Jesus if I don't do what the teacher says? No, because the disciple is just a student, okay? So <clears throat> look at this four fields illustration, okay? So here's what we need to do, all right? We're going to do a little practice in a minute here, all right? This is what we need to be doing, going, sowing, growing, and harvesting or reaping, okay? So up here on the left, now we're not going to go through this whole thing from the scriptures. I just want to show you something, okay? You go into an area, okay? That's the entry, okay? So that's the going, okay? Then you sow seeds. What is that? What is the seed? That's the gospel, okay? Then you go to the next one. Some of those seeds will become disciples, okay? So they grow. That's the growing, okay? And then the harvesting or the reaping, you get a bunch of them together, and that's called a what? A church, Okay? That's why we're here, right? Because somebody told us about Jesus, and then we grew, we became a follower of Jesus, and then we got together, and we're here uh, together, okay? Now, <clears throat> let me explain this a little bit further, okay? <clears throat> Who do I share with? All right, now in a minute, I'm, we're going to do an exercise. So there are some pages on your table that we're going to use in just a minute. <clears throat> the sewing portion, what do I share your story, God's story, Bible studies. We'll talk about that in a minute. How do you grow, okay? You follow what God says. Here's the deal. If you're not obeying what God says, then you can't grow, okay? And then you do Bible studies, and then you start a group, and you have a church together, okay? Now, here's the real business of life. This is what C.S. Lewis said. The salvation of souls is the real business of life, okay? Jonathan Edwards illustrated as plucking them out of the fires of hell. In Ezekiel, he talks about being a watchman and alerting them to the dangers. Whichever image, the point is, we got to be doing it, okay? We've forgotten, okay? We've forgotten how good the good news really is. We're too busy. We're embarrassed. We're fearful. You know what these are? Excuses. They're excuses, okay? These are the excuses, all right? We don't want to be associated with other crazy Christians, Listen, I was reading a book yesterday. It's called uh, One Thing you, uh, you Can't Do in Heaven. You know what the one thing you can't do in heaven is? Um, well, you, you won't sin. That's correct. But what? I think I heard it in there. What did you say? Yeah, we won't be sharing the gospel. You know why? Because everybody in heaven knows Jesus. Yeah, there's no sh you don't share the gospel. You don't have to tell anybody in heaven. Now is the only time we do that. That's why it's so important. So all these other things are mostly excuses. We don't know what to say. We don't feel qualified. We don't know any non-Christians. 
We don't think it's necessary. We don't think it's our job. It's Pastor Kevin's job. Not true. It's, it's not politically correct. It's not cool. I don't want to be that crazy guy. I was reading this book yesterday about this guy. Now, listen, I'll just tell you the truth. Okay, the people that are witnessing all the time, they are crazy. Right? I don't know if you've ever known any people that are always talking about Jesus. Every place they go, um, every, every restaurant, every bus stop, every taxi cab, they just walk up to people. They're just always talking about Jesus. Yes, you're right. They're out, they are crazy. Okay? Yeah. And they were what? Yeah, they were crazy too, right? Okay, so Paul was crazy before he got saved. He was trying to kill people, right? And then he was crazy after he got saved. See, Paul was just 100% no matter what he did. So here's the deal. Why, why are American Christians so weak? Why do we have so little influence on our culture? Maybe it's because we're not crazy enough. I don't mean like gun crazy. We're not talking about guns. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about we're too afraid of what other people think. We're too intimidated by the culture or Satan or fear or embarrassment to do what God's called us to do. So here's the deal. Is Jesus really our king then? Because when a king says something, what do you do? You do it. All right, now, this isn't just pointed to you. This is to me, okay? I've gone through different phases in my life, okay? When I was an early Christian, one of the first things I learned is I was like, oh, I just became a Christian. I was like, oh, this guy, I know him. I knew him from high school. He was at the same college with me. I was like, he needs to come. So I invited him to church. Nothing ever happened with it. Okay, so then I would do these different things. I would get tracks. If you don't know what they are, they're like little pieces of paper that talk about Jesus, and you can, like, do stuff with them. You can... You can leave them. If you've ever been to, like, um, a rest area or something, you find people put them in, in the bathroom on toilets. They put them in. I was reading yesterday. Okay, you want to talk about crazy? All right, I was telling my wife. I said, I think this is a little crazy. I don't know that I think he should do this, but he's trying to reach people for Jesus. This guy in this book I was reading, he goes into stores with these little tracks, and he'll go to the, um, you know how you can buy a case of soda or a case of beer, and they got a little, um, like, a, a handle spot that opens, you know? So he will stick tracks in them. So you go and buy your drink at the store, and then you get home and open it, and what's inside? A track about Jesus. Exactly. Now, this guy has stories how he met a guy just a couple days after doing that that had got that track. Now, again, crazy. Yes, it is. But here's the deal. What is this guy's consuming passion? Spreading the gospel. And what did Jesus say should be our consuming passion? Exactly. So we need to think about what we're doing, and we need to start doing something about it. Okay? Here's the deal. 4%. There's no more than 4% difference between the attitudes and actions of professing Christian youth and non-Christian youth. Well, it's not just youth. It's adults also. The difference is 4%. Okay? Let me tell you another 4% figure. Out of all the Christians, only 4% actually live what Jesus said, which means maybe only 4% are really Christians. I'll leave that up to Jesus, but 4%. So if you have 100 people and they all say they're Christians, how many are actually doing what Jesus said? 4% people. My math teacher needs to uh, assist you all. 4% means 4 out of 100. So out of 100, that's 4, okay? So 4, okay? So think about it, 4 out of 100, okay? So that's only one out of 25. That would mean in our room, if there's about 25 of us here, okay, that only one of us is really living it. 
Okay? I'm not trying to say that's me. I'm saying based on the statistic, I hope there's more than one of us living it. Okay? But you understand what I'm saying with the statistic? Well, what's the problem? We need more Christians who actually are Christians that live it. Okay? Look with me at Ephesians. No, wait. I want you to watch this video, okay, um, on evangelism. It's pretty funny. Here at the National Institute for Student Ministries, we've discovered a new method of evangelism that is shaking the very foundation of our thinking. It may appear unorthodox, but frankly, we're shocked at the results. We're amazed at this revolutionary idea, especially designed to boost student evangelism. Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well, let me put it to you like this. Yeah, baby! Next time I'm going to hit you so hard, you're going to go on the flight. Next is going to think I'm going to launch a satellite. You see, as a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. The evangelism linebacker deals directly with a variety of students' fears associated with sharing their faith. All right, it's all you. This house has got your name on it. I'm not ready yet. What makes you think I'm ready, though? Fear of rejection, for example. Let me talk to you about fear. Fourth and one, Jerry Rice, what you gonna do? That don't compare to fourth and one in eternity. It doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the floor and go do the go. Can we talk to you for a minute? I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. He loves you, but it might hurt. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean, ah! Don't you run from me! You can't escape my glass! Deep player throw you in the trash! Thanks to the evangelism linebacker, campus evangelism nationwide is up 87%. Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I got, I just got some more important things I got to do. Uh-huh. Hey, man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I got to go. Selfishness? The world needs a message. For God to love the world, it wants to communicate it through you. If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown. Give me that phone, boy. When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up. That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy. We're intrigued as the linebacker is particularly effective in infiltrating centers of cultural and intellectual exchange. Here you go. Here's your double cappuccino. Latte mocha with a twist. Not too hot, not too cold. Perfect for you. Did you hear that talk from that guy the other night? Oh, I know. Like, we were supposed to be sharing our faith in, like, a coffee shop. Woo! Woo! Shut up in a coffee shop, baby! You next! It's unlikely that the recent decline in coffee sales has anything to do with our program. Brian comes in for the phone. That's Old Testament. Old Testament. You know this. Thanks for the coffee, Dad. Hey, welcome. Have a nice day. Yo, mama raised you better than this boy. Don't let me blow you up no more. You see, I think it's fitting because when people have pride, if they're too prideful to share their faith, what I do is I knocks the pride out of them. What I would like to communicate to my brothers and sisters is this. 
when you least expect it, around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be in a phone wire. I can be everywhere and just know that I'm always watching. Ready to let a boom on you, baby. Booyah! Ouch. Are you ready for game day? side. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Paul said in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God into salvation. Okay? We don't need Derwin Gray coming knocking us out, do we? No. Okay. We need to be on focus, on task with the gospel message, okay? Because we love. Because we love Jesus and because we love our neighbors. <clears throat> Before I get to that part, though, let me look at Ephesians chapter 6, 19 and 20 with you. In Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Paul says, Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Now listen. I think this is an important verse for us. Paul was human too. Paul is saying, pray with me. Ephesians 6, gentlemen, 19 and 20. Paul is saying, pray with me. I need you to pray that I would be bold. This is the crazy Paul we just talked about a minute ago. He also needed boldness at times. He was human too, guys. We read the pages of the Bible and think he was superhuman. No, he wasn't. Jesus was. Paul was not. Paul needed boldness, and so do you and I. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. We've got to believe the basics again, that God actually does what he said he'll do. So you give the word. You don't save anybody. You give the word, and you let God do the work in their hearts. Maybe it'll take 30 seconds, maybe it'll take 30 days, maybe it'll take 30 years. You leave it to God. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So the first, the first aspect of our problem was I don't think that we love God properly. The second one is we don't love our neighbor. So I can ask you, do you love your neighbor? Remember, your neighbor is anybody, okay? Your neighbor is anybody. The love factor is this. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? The atheist Penn Jillette said that. This was not a believer. This was an atheist, and he said this. If you actually believe that people are going to die and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell, and you don't tell them, you have no love, and you hate them. That's an atheist. He said, you should be telling everybody if that's what you really believe. So that's a slap in my face. That's a slap in our face as Christians. Because we say we believe it, but we don't live it out. So let's just think back to the whole series that we're doing called Believe. It's got to move from thinking to acting. We can't just say we believe. We have to live it out. The reality of heaven and hell that we looked at a few weeks ago needs to inform how we live our lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, look what happens in this chain. 
He says, this is Paul again, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here, this is called the 222 principle. Okay? Why? Because you have Paul teaching Timothy, who's going to teach reliable men, who's going to teach others. That's four generations. Don't be the one that breaks the chain. Okay? So somebody helped me become a follower by bringing me to where I could hear about the gospel. So then I am telling others, including you, okay? And you are hopefully telling others. And so you have this chain. Don't break the chain. How is it that America will get worse and worse? America gets worse and worse because the chain got broken. There's a generation that stopped doing this. That's why Jesus said, remember back in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, he said, you go make disciples, you go and you do what? You teach them everything that I have commanded, everything I've taught you, you teach them. Well, where is that contained? That's contained in the book we call the Bible or the scriptures, okay? You have to teach them, and then they become a student and do it. Well, guess what? If you're not learning and doing, then you're not a student or a disciple or a follower of Jesus, and you broke the chain. And guess what the broken chain means? The broken chain means things just continue to get worse. And worse than that, eternal states of people are the issue. So hell is increasing and heaven is decreasing. We want the reverse. Okay, here's the go-tell map. It deals with kind of the same thing. Now, on your table are several things, all right? Um, There is this bookmark right here, all right? You're only going to worry about the front of it, okay? Each of these diagrams we're going to talk through, okay? Um, We're going to run a little bit long today, it looks like. So the four fields we've talked about, this is the go-tell map. There are, you are the one in the middle, and the arrows are people that you're telling. There are ones and twos, Roman numeral twos, okay? That's the first person you tell. The two is the person that they went and told, okay? The water is people that followed through with, with baptism, like Jesus says, after they become a believer, okay? Now, how do you do this? Okay, here's what you do. Okay, we're going to skip the next video. Find on your table this paper, all right? And on the back side, it's got a tic-tac-toe board, okay? I put the tic-tac-toe down because um, I figured if you saw them, you would be playing tic-tac-toe. So, oh, that's unfortunate because that's not what it's for. So, you need the tic-tac-toe board. Here's what I want you to do. Hold it this way. I guess, well, it doesn't matter. I guess it's the same either way. Um, The free space in the middle, okay? I want you to draw your house there, okay? Put your house, me, okay, in the free space in the middle. You see, we can't... No, you could just stay on the hotel map, which is what we're on. You all ready? You got a confused look on your face. You got your house in the middle? Okay. Now, here's what you do. All right? So you just got to uh, be creative. If like, you're in an apartment complex or you don't have people on every side of you. Okay. So now with your house in the middle, you got to think about where you live. Okay? Who is across the street from you? Who is to the left of you, to the right of you, behind you, etc.? And so what you want to do now is you want to fill that in with names. Okay? If you're at an apartment, it could be people above you, below you, left and right, etc. All right? Now, 
If you know all your neighbors, you'll be able to put names in all of them. If you don't know all your neighbors, then you're going to have a blank or a question mark right now. So you know what the first thing that you need to learn? The names of your neighbors. <laughs> okay? So if you can't fill in the whole chart, okay, what do you think that you should do this week to love God and love your neighbor? What do you think? Meet your neighbor. <coughs> Learn your neighbor's name. Now, maybe you met them and you forgot their name. I have to meet them like 20 times before I remember their name. I feel really, really stupid having to ask their name after the 10th time. But anyway. All right. You all with me on the tic-tac-toe thing? Okay. So, good. Go ahead. Finish it up. You got time. All right. <coughs> now, after you meet your neighbor and learn their name, then what do you do? Well, at some point, you need to start talking to them about who? God. Jesus. Very good. God, okay? So how do we do that, okay? I'm going to help you with a few things, okay? First thing you can do, tell them your story. My story, this is called, okay? So it's on the bookmark. It's the next thing on the bookmark. These all go in order. Okay, what is my story, okay? My story deals with three things. You tell them, and I, I kind of modeled this for you a minute ago. You tell them about your life before, okay? So you see the chair and the, the crown, okay? That is Jesus as king. But there's a slash, and you're on the other side of it. That means you're not with God. He's not your king, okay? That's your life before you met Jesus. The cross, the rebirth, that's how you met Jesus. And then after that is what Jesus has done in your life, okay? So I told you part of my story, okay, how I met Jesus, friend brought me to church. I heard the gospel. I believed the gospel that day. Then I began growing in the gospel. What's the rest of that story? Well, you're here with me today because of the rest of that story. Okay. Then God led me to go to Bible college and seminary. I was a youth pastor. I came to Orlando, Florida. I taught in Christian schools. And then we started Kirkman Community Church. All that because um, I got saved, the cross part, Okay, because a friend did what? Yes, he shared Jesus with me. Okay? That this never would have happened. If if you became a believer because of our ministry, okay, raise your hand. If you became a believer because of our ministry, Stanley, raise your hand. Alright? So look, this is because of God's work, and specifically, you can put them down, because somebody else that you've never met obeyed God and loved God and loved me. If they had not loved God and loved me and told me, guess what? I never would have come to Florida. Never would have met Melissa. And never would have told you guys about Jesus. Is that with me? Are you with me on this? You don't know where God's going to take you. You just have to obey him, okay? So are you all cool on what the my story portion is? It's simple. You say, I don't know how to do this, Kevin. Yeah, if you're a Christian, you just tell how you used to be, how you learned about Jesus, and how he's changed your life. It's that simple. All right? The next part is Jesus' story. Okay? Now, the Jesus story deals with the gospel. Okay? This shows how God works um, all through the Bible. And we've been talking about this. And so what I want to do is um, go, to the, um, go to the three circles diagram. Okay? For the sake of time. All right? For the sake of time, 
the screen surface diagram on it. Okay, just click on it. Don't go through a whole bunch of other things, please. <coughs> on your table, this is the three circles diagram. There's three circles, okay? <coughs> you say, Kevin, I, I don't know the Bible mm -hmm. like you. I don't know how to explain all this. Okay, so I have tools for you. In the first circle, what's it say? In the first circle, what's it say? It says God's design. And what is God's design? We talked about it. God's design was that we would be with him in his kingdom, right? God's design was that he created heaven and earth for man to live and to rule. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and 28. Okay? Then what happened, though? Sin happened. Okay? Yes, sin happened. Brokenness happened. Okay? Why? Because we rebelled. Right? And you've got verses there. So God's design was broken by sin. That's the arrow. It leads to brokenness. Why do people get divorced? Why do people beat people? Why are people lonely? Why do people commit suicide? Why do people steal, rob, rape, pillage? Why? What's wrong with them? They're what? B word. Broken. Broken. Because of, S word, sin. Okay? Major problem, right? So what's the solution? Look at the big arrow. Repent and believe. Repent and believe what? Believe the good News, the good news. That's the gospel, which is the third circle, which is what we talked about in the beginning of our message today. And then the next arrow leads you to what? Recover and pursue what? Recover and pursue God's design. Put you back with God. Put you back at what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be ruling for God. If you're, if you're um, broken and if you're doing bad things, are you ruling for God? No. No. So this puts you back on the track to rule for God, all right? On the back of this, it's in very small print, but guess what? Most of the verses that are on the front are listed on the back of this card, all right? Now, I've also given you another card, okay? <clears throat> you can also do the Bible in one verse. You can do the gospel in one verse. And so the green cards on the table are Romans 6.23, okay? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so each of those words, they're in bold and underlined at the top. And then you take those, and they're under the proper section in the little picture. So you've got a little man. And the little man, what three words are under him? Wages, sin, death. Wages, sin, and death, right? And so those three words all go for the man. What's a wage? It's a paycheck. So what is your paycheck as a man or woman? Sin. Yes. Your paycheck is death. That's what you get. You work and you get a paycheck, right? Wages is a paycheck. What was your work? Sin. That's right. Your work was sin. And so what's your paycheck? Death. death. Is that good news or bad news? Yeah. That's bad news. So you need some good news. So the good news is the middle, the word but. Okay? The word but means something different here. But Jesus Christ, that's the good news. Okay? And so what's on the right side? Is it wages? No, it's a what? Yeah. You work for a gift? No, a gift is free. You don't work for a gift. Imagine if your grandma came over and had a $120 pair of Nikes for you. Okay? Yeah, you're all, look at you, all excited, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so she
she gives you these Nikes, and then you pull out 120 bucks to give to her to pay her back, what's she going to say to you? No. And then how would she feel if you made her take the money? She would not feel good. Why? Because she gave you a gift. You're rejecting the gift by trying to pay her. You cannot pay Jesus or God for salvation. You cannot pay to get your way into heaven. It is a free gift. He came from heaven because he loved to get his enemies into heaven with him and to make his enemies his friends. Okay? So gift. Of, of who? Gift of God. It's not your gift. It's not your grandma's gift. And I can give you some more spirits. I'm sorry you're not getting them, okay? But it's a gift of God. You can't do something better than Nike. You can get all excited about Nike's $120. Who cares? How about eternal life? Okay? So that's the gift, eternal life. So you trust Jesus. That's why the arrow at the top says trust. So the only way to get over there is trust Jesus. Again, on the back, all the words are explained for you. Okay? So what am I doing here for you today? I'm equipping you. You know what the pastor's number one job is? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? You do. And me. Okay? And who equips you? I help equip you. And you equip each other. Okay? So... You have more stuff on the table than I can really get through. Okay, I'd probably need another 35 minutes, and I'm not going to take another 35 minutes. So during your table talk time in just a couple minutes, okay, you can talk through those a little more, okay? Let me go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, okay? And 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, Paul says, To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so I may by every possible means save some. Now, some people use this for all sorts of crazy stuff, okay? <clears throat> all Paul is saying is this. I want everyone to know Jesus. I'm going to do whatever I can to help them know Jesus as long as I don't disobey God. Okay? Can you go to bad places to share the gospel? Yeah, you can, but you better not be sinning while you're there. Right? You can go pretty much anywhere to share the gospel, but as long as you're going to share the gospel, not to be sinning. You with me? Yes, <coughs> It's not true. They'll talk with you. It's not true. They'll talk with you. You never sin to do God's work. Right? Yeah. Jesus never sinned, did he? No. God never expects you to sin to do his work. Okay? Luke 15, 10. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. What do the angels do when one person becomes a believer? Rejoice. They rejoice. So all of you that raised your hand a minute ago because you got saved sometime during church and community church ministry, you know what was going on in heaven? Party of the angels. Are you with me? The angels were having a party when you got saved that day. All right? Yeah, we probably gave you a high five and had lunch. Okay? The angels had more of a party. Shame on us, I guess, right? So that's what goes on. All right? It's a real thing. So let me wrap this up. The key idea today, obviously, is sharing our faith. So let's make this a reality. I share my faith with others to fulfill God's purpose. We can't say that if it's not true. Let's be able to say, I share my faith with others to fulfill God's purpose. So the question was, how do I share my faith with those who don't know? I think we've answered that, at least to some extent. We've got the ball rolling on it. The only question left is whether or not you will move it from your head to your heart and then put your feet to it and do it. Let me close with Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. It's our verse for the week. It's the memory verse, which is on uh, this card here. 
okay? And it says, pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Now listen, he's in chains. Paul's in prison in this, in this verse when he wrote this. He's saying this, pray that I'll be bold to open my mouth, okay? We'll have five minutes of table talk in a minute, but this should remind you of the five, <clears throat> the five uh, people in the three opens that we've talked about before. We'll tie that in with the diagram you just made in a second. Let me pray for us, <clears throat> and then we'll spend five minutes in table talk, and we'll sing one song, and then uh, we'll see if lunch is ready. Father, we come to you this morning in thanksgiving. We come to you thanking you that you loved us enough that you left heaven to come to earth to get enemies and make them your friends. That when the Bible says that you endured the cross for the joy set before you, we were your prize. You came here to get your prize, which was us, your enemies at one point. <coughs> Father, I thank you for the salvation. I confess that I have not I have not done what you've called me to do in sharing my faith, Father. Give us boldness, Father, that we would share with others. Give us boldness that we would love you and love others enough to tell them the truth. Father, I pray today, if there are people here who have not come to know you as Savior, that they would realize from today's message how much you love them, that they would also realize that they sit on the other side of you. They're, they're not in your kingdom yet if they haven't accepted you as Savior. And that they can be, though, today. Father, I pray that if there's anyone like that in here today, that you would just call upon them, that you would speak to their hearts right now, and they could realize that they can call out and pray to you right where they're sitting. They could just say to you, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize whether I'm the older brother or the younger brother, whether I make public my sins or I keep them hidden in secret, that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus came and he died on the cross. He paid for my sins. And then he rose from the dead because he's stronger. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. You will be my king. I will be your servant. I want to be in your kingdom and in your family. Save me today. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that today, that, that means that you just entered into God's family. You begin growing now as a believer. And now you, along with us, it's your responsibility to share the truth of God with others. That they, too, can be in God's family. No longer be an enemy. No longer have to face judgment someday. No longer have to be separated from God forever. But be with God in his kingdom and in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what I would like you to do for the next just couple of minutes is in your tables.